Well, our next guest, Dino, has got an opinion, and the ratings suggest that people are listening. And it's Ray Hadley. He's been good enough to join us on a Sunday morning as our legend of sport. Ray, good morning. Morning, Dino. Good morning, Raymond. Thanks for joining us, Ray. First, I've got to ask you, we've got a change of government overnight. We've got a new, our 31st Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, comes from humble beginnings, much like yourself, Ray. And I know it's been a long six weeks covering this election campaign. What are your thoughts, Ray, waking up Sunday morning to a new government? Well, I mean, obviously, I was hoping we wouldn't have a new government, but uh, we do have, and then you deal with the cards that you've got dealt. The, the Prime Ministership deserves a certain amount of respect, um, and that doesn't matter who the Prime Minister is, but he's there, he's got the job, so what Australians have got to do today is collectively fall in behind him, mm-hmm. fall in behind the ministers who he'll appoint, and hope they do a better job than the last time, have a crack under Kevin Rudd. <laughs> exactly, now we've got to move on now, and we'll move on because this is a sports show, and we've got you on primary to talk about your career in sports broadcasting, which has been an extended career, you've been... Um, uh, in people's living rooms and car radios and all sorts of things for many years. How did you get your start in sports broadcasting? And was it always your goal to follow this sort of career, Ray? I wanted to be a race caller from when I was a small boy. Um, I used to uh, get the results from Rose Hill and Randwick mainly, sometimes while I'd come to my Saturday meetings and, and write them up and uh, do them and then... You know, probably as a young boy, I started doing phantom calls. There's a big difference. A lot of blokes can do phantom calls, and then you've got to try and translate into actually doing it. So when I left school in about 1972, I, I looked everywhere for a job for a race caller. But mm-hmm. funnily enough, in the Sydney Morning Herald jobs ads, there weren't too many race callers required. So I ended up seeing an ad for auctioneer, training auctioneer with a passport company called Pitsun and Badgery, and I went and worked for them uh, at the age of 17. And I stayed there for about seven or eight years. I became a fully-fledged auctioneer at 21. And uh, I still do it to this very day, but I had this, this pining to be a race caller. Um, so um, I got a bit of a break in 1980. They had a thing at the Sydney Cricket Ground called the CIG World Richest Sprint over 300 metres professional runners. And uh, the bloke that normally did it, um, Keith Isles was crook, so they asked me to call the races at the SCG, and I did. It was they'll run at half time of the semis and grand final. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. And that was when I first determined I could actually, you know, remember names and put names to runners and things like that. So Mr. Isles was still crook, and so I went on the road then with this uh, professional troop of runners. And I did the Cootamundra gift, the Canamble gift, the Kosava gift, the Dubbo gift, uh, every gift that was named a man. I did. Didn't get paid, but they gave me a room in the hotel to share with one of the officials. And it was then I had that, that desire. I thought, well, I can actually do this. I can turn this into a job. So uh, most of the options I did then happened on weekends. And so I continued to ply my trade with a company called Steer and Company, an auctioneering firm based in Western Sydney. And eventually I made the decision that I wanted to be a race caller. So I left there. Um, I drove in my car from... Sydney to the Gold Coast and came back inland. I went to every radio station with a tape and uh, with a CV. I didn't get one interview. Um, I got an interview at 2HD in Newcastle. I think that's the only place I got an interview and I came back and... Competitive thought, field, right? Competitive field. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have a crack at this for a couple of years and, and see what happens. But I couldn't feed myself. So I made a mind. I said, get a job as a cab driver and you can work through the night and then 
call the races on weekends if you get a crack. So I started doing that. And shortly after I started doing that, I got the job at Appen, calling mm. the Greyhounds at Appen. I'd done all the trials at Weddy Park and Harold Park before that, but Appen was the, the first official job I got. I got $32.50 for 15 races. First race at 12.45, last race at 4.45, <laughs> and I knocked most of it off on the park. <laughs> <laughs> Funny about that. Hey, Ray, I reckon I'll, I'll bring back some, some pretty good memories for you here. Into the straight, they come, and Al Savantalot in front. Heracles trying to get to him. He kicked away Al Savantalot. The Kiwi trying to get to him. Down the outside, late Commander Muddy. But Al Savantalot's in front, getting to him. Quantum Lobel, Brian Hancock's going to go out of the Miracle Mile. Al Savantalot first, Quantum Lobel second. The Kiwi, Heracles, has finished third. In... Do you know that was Harold Park, the great old days? Miracle Mile, Ray. What year would that have been, Raymond? Early 1980s? Uh, well, I, I replaced Ray Conroy when he retired in about '84, so it'd be, and I called there until '92, so it'd be in the early '80s that mm-hmm. uh, B.J. Hancock won. Um, and I had gra- a great friendship there. What happened? I did Appen Dogs, I did Wendy Park Dogs, Harold Park Dogs, and then uh, when Ray retired, I got the job at Harold Park. And Peter Valandis was my boss. Which That's right. Uh, he was the boss, and John Dumbersley was his two IC who now runs Harness Racing in New South Wales. So every Tuesday and Friday, I'd go to the Harold Park uh, trots. Um, in concert with that, at the same time, I was an understudy for Des Hoisted, uh, the great race caller, and then uh, John Tapp when he replaced Des. And I, uh, the first day I called the race uh, was uh, would have been 1984, January 84. I, I arrived at Canterbury for Saturday meeting with Tappy, and there was a two-year-old race, the first race. And Tappy said, how hey, you been going with the, the, the practice at the trials? And I said, I've been going all right. Yeah, fair, yeah. He said, good, put your 1050s on the stand, you can do the first race. Um, and I was as nervous as a kitten. And uh, the first race was a two-year-old race, won by a horse called Street Cafe. Yeah, I reckon it was the yeah. 7th of January, 1984, Street Cafe, ridden good. by an apprentice called Darren Beedman. Um, it beat a horse called Aricus and a horse called Wanabi. And Street Cafe, shortly after that win, uh, won, of course, the the uh, Blue Diamond. Yeah, Theo Green, uh, good two-year-old. Yeah, yeah Theo Green trained it. And um, uh, I remember Bobby Thompson, who remains a mate at this day, had two runners in it, uh, both named Homanton. Homanton, boy, and Homanton star. And uh, obviously uh, raised an interest of, I think, Asian owners. And uh, same colours, different cap. And I was just determined all the way through the race to make sure I got one of those two right. <laughs> uh, because they were similar colours. Only a small field, I think it was eight. And... I think Cappy said to me at the end of it, well, my boy, he said, what do you think? I said, well, John, if I walk off course and get by a bus, I'll die happy. <laughs> you did it, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, Ray, after that, obviously your career was starting to expand and it was a burgeoning career in broadcasting. And it would have been about 1987, I think, where the Continuous Calls team mm. uh, started and you were obviously heading up that Continuous Call team, which is still going today, which is an amazing an institution. Yeah, an amazing effort for longevity. How did you get into rugby league and why? Uh, well, it was an accident. Um, I was calling the races and, and I wanted to keep calling the races, although I made a monumental blunder uh, at Rose Hill the day Jimmy Cassidy rode uh, six winners. One of the winners was a horse called Bigamy, trained by BJ Smith by Double Century for Matrimonial. And uh, it had a change of colours and I hadn't, uh, learned the colours that it was racing. It wasn't racing in Brian's, uh, you know, trainer's colours. It was in the owner's colours. And it led just about all the way for Cassidy, and it was his fifth winner. And I didn't identify it until it was about 200 metres out from the line. I just 
I had no idea, and I kept thinking about what Des and John had told me. If you forget one, just forget it. Keep calling, keep calling. It'll come to you, and it never came to me. It's still about the shadows and the face. But anyway, I uh, um, it, it, people will forget that Cole Pierce was a caller at 2UE in 1985, along with Frank Hyde. Um, Frank had come from TSM, and he was like Cole's co-commentator. He stopped ball-by-ball description, having done his 33rd grand final. So in 85, it was Colin Frank, and then the management to UE decided that they wanted to go in another direction, and the TV rights had uh, been lost by Channel 7, so Rex Mossop was at uh, loose end, so they decided to turn Rex from a TV caller to a radio caller, which are entirely different things, and Rex never quite made it as a radio caller, as good a caller as he was on TV, and he'd sit there smoking the pipe and say, Kenny, Ella, Berlin. <laughs> And then but I'd say, Rex, 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 boy, Rexy boy, you've got to call it all the time. You're not quite the same. <laughs> and Rex never quite got it. So at the end of 86, Rex was picked up to go to Channel 10 because they punted rabbits because uh, he wouldn't go to Los Angeles in 84, so they punished him for that. So Rex went to TV, so they needed to call her on TUE. So they offered a job to Hollywood and Zorba at 2GB. They said no. They offered it to Jeff Printer, who was at 2KY. He said no. They offered it to John McCoy, who was at Brisbane. He wanted to do it, but he didn't want to come and live in Sydney, so they said no. So they had all these people offered the job, and eventually um, Mark Collier, the, the station manager at Brenner, said, what about Hadley? I'd called a few games of rugby league the year before in 85 when Cole was um, travelling for a New Zealand test series, I think, from memory, and I'd called some three or four games, and they said, oh, he sounds like a race caller. I said, well, that's funny, that's what I am. So at the end of uh, 86, early 87, they came to me and said, you want to call the football? And I, I said, oh, I want to be a race caller. So I went to Tappy, who was my mentor. I said, what do you think? And he said, oh, son, he said, how much they offering? And I said, oh, $60,000. He said, that's more than I get. <laughs> Take he it. Said, uh, <laughs> he, he said, look, he, he, honestly, he said, listen, it's a lot easier calling 26 plays for 80 minutes and a field of 24 for a minute and a half, you know. And he was right. And so I went and I said to Breno, I said, look, I've had a think about it. I said, um, you know, is there any more money in the till? And he said, oh, look, mate, he said, I heard that Jim Cassidy call the other day. He said, I wouldn't be too, <laughs> I wouldn't be too uh, hesitant to take this new job. So I took it on. Great price with my co-commentator. As good a footballer as he was, he was not a co-commentator and so we went really badly I never never really ended one year I mean after one year we're getting lapped by Hollywood and Zorba who were the preemptive, you know and, mm. uh, and really good and a good show and, and before that rugby league had started at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and they went and started at 1 and we started at midday to try and get an hour march on them but they were very very good uh, Greg and Peter so um, they offered Greg and Peter my job at the end of 87 God bless Peter. He knocked it back, and Zorba's a guest in the show, of course. He toughened me up, Zorba. Mm. I remember once when there was this battle between us. He said, Ray Hadley's the only football commentator who could walk into a bank without a mask on, and no one know who he is to rob it. You know? <laughs> so um, we lasted, and I shouldn't have lasted, but we lasted, and then John Gibbs joined me, and then by uh, about 91, uh, we won the ratings for the first time, and we haven't been beaten at all. The team hasn't been beaten since I no longer really do much. I call origins and grand finals, but the team hasn't been beaten. It's an incredible run from 91 to you know, 2022 and still winning the ratings, but that's that's what happened. Right, Ray, the continuous call is an institution. I think 
we all listened to, which I think was some of the, the most fantastic radio with yourself and Bobby Fulton and and Dean and I, both great mate Peter Chippy Flingos. So those days, continuous call. It sounded like it was almost fun. Well, it was fun to go to work, Ray. Well, it was. We, we had six hours on Saturday and Sunday and Friday night as well. And obviously, I was really close to both. Bob, who, by the way, is in the rest of his passing tomorrow, mm. 12 months, if you yes, believe yeah. it. And uh, Chippy was, you know, Chippy was just an incredible character, and uh, we lost him way too early in 2004. But, um, yeah, and but the, the turning point, gents, was for us was losing the rights. After 1999, we'd had the Super League war, and, you know, everyone got back together and everyone was happy. But I, I got punished for my uh, ARL loyalty, and uh, when news... Um, were in control of the uh, what was the new joint board. Um, I'm sure people like uh, Reeves and others decided that they needed to be taught a lesson, so they took the rights off us and gave it exclusively to 2GB and John Singleton from 2000 on. So the management of 2US said, what do you want to do? And coupled affected the 2GB, and uh, of course the most loyal were Bob and Peter, they stayed with me mm-hmm. along with Walker. And I said, we'll do a show. And they said, well, hey, you're going to do this. I said, well, I don't know. We'll make it up as we go along. So that's, <laughs> that's how the continuous call team in today's form started. And that was in the year 2000, 22 years ago. So what would happen, we'd get there. And, you know, we weren't allowed to give scores. You know, Singo drove me mad, threatening Supreme Court action. I mean, we, we said we'd get in a hot air balloon over Parramatta and call the football. And we, we had people inside the ground phoning us at scores <laughs> and things like that anyway. They, they eventually threatened court action and TUE management said, look, this has got to stop. So I, we, we just decided then and there to, to do it in a certain way and make, instead of talking about torn hamstrings and, you know, injuries and controversies, we just made it fun and, mm. and laughed and bluffed our way through. And remarkably, when the first survey came out in 2000, Singo had paid a billion dollars for the right and bought all these people to call out the game on the planet. We won the ratings. So everyone thought, oh, this anomaly, it won't happen again. We'll be on the, we won... Every rating yeah. that year, we won the five football ratings in 2000. We won them again in 2001. So we were not calling the football, but we won the football ratings, which was <laughs> one of the strangest times, I think, in rugby league in sporting history mm-hmm. that we won the ratings without calling the football. But uh, it led to other things, obviously. Ray, obviously, you do your 9 to 12 show every week, but you do keep in touch with your rugby league. And I think this year you will return to call the grand final. If I'm wrong, pick me up. But it would be your 33rd, and as I understand, that would actually equal the great wow. Frank Hyde, which is an extraordinary achievement. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I should be more than that. I, I had a couple of years off, <laughs> so I'll pension it, and then I had a couple of years, a couple of more years off. But um, Frank called 33, which included two replays, uh, Cronulla Manly and then St George and Parramatta um, in 77, so he called the two. So that gave him 33. It, it would have been obviously 31, but then he did two replays. And you're right, uh, this will be my 33rd grand final this year um, when we do that the long weekend in October. And um, Frank was a, a dear friend, a great mentor. He phoned me when I first started calling and saying, you've you got to start saying like a race call or something. You've got to, you know, you've got to try to get into a different sort of rhythm, you know, and, and things like that. And that took me a couple of years to conquer. But um, it, it's it's something that I'll reflect on deeply that I've equal the man I think is the greatest rugby league radio caller of all time in Frank Hyde. I'll equal his record of 33. And, mm-hmm. of course, um, Ray Warren has called, I think, 99 State of Origins, and I'm about 90 or 91. I haven't checked recently, but um, 
I hope Rabs does 100 this year and yeah. does 101 or 102, and, and I'll do three more this year to get closer to him. And um, I'm contracted this call again next year and the year after. That's when my contract finishes 2024. So I will have done, uh, if things work out, I will have done by then 35 grand finals and uh, probably close to 100 uh, state of origin um, at the end of that. Well, it's fair to say, Ray, you've mastered the art. Still 60 metres to negotiate. Plays the ball back to Meninga. New South Wales offside. Langer to Kevin Walters. Then the ball goes to Khan. Khan looking to get the pass away. Reynolds plucks it out of the side. He goes down the touchline. Away from Barnhill. The ball to Hancock. Hancock only starting out. The pass to Darren Smith. Smith inside the corner. The ball to Langer. Langer's only aiming out. The pass to Meninga. Meninga for the line. Back to Coy. Coy's in. Coy. 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 Queensland has won. They've scored a try. One of the great calls, Dino. 1992 Ray SFS. Yeah. I think the Telegraph called it the try from hell. The the 1992 uh, State of Origin, Mark Coyne in the northeastern corner. Mm. And I can sit here at the moment in my office and almost uh, relive it. And I remember um, I had a phone call the next day from a newspaper editor. Um, uh, from the Sydney Morning Herald, actually, John Lyons, and uh, I didn't know him all that well, but he said, I'll just ring you to tell you, he said, uh, was that try as good as you called? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I was in a corporate box, and he said, I had to get back to the paper, so I left early. I was in my car driving back to Fairfax, and uh, he said, please tell me it wasn't as good as you made it sound. Please tell me. I said, no, it was even better. Sorry, John. (laughs) So... It was funny, and uh, yeah, so it was a great moment. Left the ground to go go back to work. Exactly. Hey, Ray, you've worked with some some tremendous people on your continuous call team over the years. But I've we asked the hard hitting questions on this show. I want to know who your best sideline eye was: Phil Buzz Rothfield or Dean Bulldog Richie? Ah, that was Tony McGowan. No, no, I want to know Greg Pritchard. Buzz or Bulldog? Okay, what's the answer, Ray? Tony McGowan was the best. Magoo. He's very yes, funny, Magoo. and go on. Yeah, he, he, Tony's favourite line on a Saturday afternoon he was going to Wenny Park was, hey, boss, can you spot me 100 until my hunchback brother straightens himself out? <laughs> Otherwise, you're never going to get it back, yeah. <laughs> Who was second? Dino oh, wants to know. Well, I, I, I don't want to upset Buzz because I know he's about to come on. <laughs> but he, he, he was, look, one of the things that our trademark was when we were really flying was around the grounds. So, I mean, Fox hadn't been invented. Uh, you know, you didn't get every game on TV. It was only on radio. So, Brenner used to say to me, two things you've got to do, son. You've got to give the score at least 80 times in 80 minutes, so that's once every 60 seconds. And you've got to go around the grounds almost as many times. And so, Buzz was part of that, uh, along with the best of the best, Donnie Mosley and Ian mm-hmm. Heads was part of it. And Buzz uh, was at, Bull, uh, at Belmore, I think, one day when we crossed to him. And it, we used to encourage the, uh, the around the grounds team to call the concluding stages and Buzz distinguished himself with a magnificent call of a kick by the Canterbury goal kicker, uh, I think, to win the game. And so I'd have to give it to Buzz. Um, and the other bloke that um, we used to uh, have as part of the team, of course, was Steve Gillis Chimes. Mm. And uh, I used to love Chimes. We used to send him Wollongong Chimes before he became a multi-millionaire player manager. And uh, he'd have to catch the train. He didn't have a car. So at five o'clock they say Chime said, "Can he can he go early in the wrap up from the dressing room?" So I'd say, "Yeah, not a problem." He wants to catch up past five train for Wollongong Central. <laughs> so I'd say, 
after the break, we'll go to Steve Gillis down there at Wollongong. And then he said, oh, that's good. So then I'd go to someone else. And I'd do another break. And then about 20 to 6, and we'd finally get to it. We'd be blowing up down the line to the Tenwaffle. I just say, I want to catch the train. You're going to have to get half past six train, not half past five. I can imagine your old chimes. Now, before you go, Raymond, I've got to ask you, can you clear up the debate? Over you and Buzz, I think it was at the Park Royal one night. Buzz yeah, tells one story, you tell another. You okay. give your version now, and we'll get Buzz well, to reply. It's an entirely different version, but what, this is what happened. I was calling Origin. What year? Dr. Nathan Gibbs was the team doctor. I got Cook on the plane. I mean, Cook, uh, you know, like a flu or a bug or something. So I went to him and said, "Can you get me something to get me to the ground?" And he said, "So he gave me a needle in the backside." He said, this will stop you throwing up. It'll serve your stomach down. He said, but, you know, he said it'll last for about four or five hours. That'll get you through the call, which it did. He said, then go back to bed. So I came back to the park hall in Brisbane. And in those days, we used to go to a nightclub called Rosie's after the game with the players and the media, you know, and there were no mobile phones and things like that. Some some atrocities, as Peter would say, would be committed uh, by the players and the media. Anyway, not bad things, but just, you know, funny things. So... I get this phone call in my room at, you know, 11, 11.30. It's Buzz, you know. <laughs> get out the Rosies. I said, listen, leave me alone. I'll cook, you know, go away. So this happened about three times. I said, I'm cook, Buzz, leave me alone. So then he came banging on the door of my room, you know. So I got to the door of my singlet and underpants, my preferred method of, uh, you know, going to bed in those days. And I said, go away, you pest. I said, I'm cook. I said, you know, I'm cook. I'm cook. Leave me alone. So he shaped up as he normally does, you know, in those circumstances. He he alleges I threw one and hit him, which I wouldn't do. I slammed the door in his face. As you know, he's got a rather prominent proboscis. It hit the nose. The claret flowed. And that was the last one. And until the phone rang again, and this is the quote, and he can't deny this. He said, you and me in the car. <laughs> Might get a right reply soon, Ray. But hey, Ray, I'm before sure we... I have a different version, <laughs> but you know, somewhere between mine and his lies the truth, Ray. Fair enough. Before we let you go, there's so many great sayings that you've done in calls. I want to ask you where this one came from. On the outside of John Simon, Stab kicks into the end goal, took it twice on the tail, has been knocked on, six to go, picked up by Cartwright. If they don't score, I'm a young fan of Scandinavian astronaut. Look at the eastern side of the field, they've got to spin it. Elias, back to Salvatore, he's over, gives him that to try. And the Blues lead by 12-6, they've got for that. I didn't fancy being a Scandinavian astronaut. That's very
uh, that was in both markets. So, yeah, like an XPT through Fastness Moon. And then people used to write to me and say, the XPT doesn't go through Fastness Moon. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. I couldn't get that gig. Hey, Ray, look, we could talk for hours. We really appreciate you. You'll have a lot to talk about tomorrow morning on your top-rating 2GB show from 9am to 12. So much happened in the federal election. But... So much happening in the world of sport that you're also across. And as I said, I really appreciate you coming on and giving us your time on a Sunday morning. No, Ray, you've always been a gentleman. You've been a wonderful person. And Bulldog's always been Bulldog. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, I think. It's good. It is good fun work, man, I've got to say. Yeah, good on you, Ray. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks so much, Ray. Thank you. Fair, boys. Fair, boys.